Oh, thank you for that warm welcome. Yes, please submit papers. I am a conference junkie, so any questions you have, let me know. Good to be with you today. So I love triathlons. I am not fast, but I enjoy the training, the energy on race day, the feeling of completing a goal. A few years ago, I persuaded my daughter into doing the Santa Barbara Try It Out Triathlon. It's a sprint one, really short sprint one. Her very first one, and this was her junior year of college. This short sprint triathlon was a great introduction to the race. You have a 500-yard swim, then a six-mile bike ride, and then a two-mile run. It was in August 2021 when COVID restrictions had opened up, up just a little bit briefly, so there was a crowd, but not very large. I decided to take the penalty and start in her age group. Yes, I am that kind of person. Uh, but my mindset for the race was to do it with my daughter, to suppress my competitive side, which realistically is ironic because I'm not very fast, but I do like to overtake the person in front of me. <laughs> so we finished the ocean swim. She did great. I am not a fan of ocean swimming. Something touched my foot and I was hoping it was a human. <laughs> my older surfer cousin, who at one point lived on a sailboat in Morro Bay with his surfboards, he'd always tell our family, the minute you get in the water, you become part of the food chain. Thanks, cuz. <laughs> so we survived the ocean swim, hopped on our bikes for the next bit. That portion was rough, her bike chain fell off. We stopped, put it back on, time lost. Then we ran, there were leg cramps, we walked. We went to the restroom. <laughs> we laughed and joked. We're like, at this point, might as well stop and get a coffee. Um, so we get near the end. We jogged it in. We finished. On the short bike ride back to the hotel, it was less than a half a mile. I thought, I don't need my helmet. Uh, that was a bad idea. My towel that was draped over my handlebar ran into the spokes of my bike. It stopped immediately, and I went headfirst over the handlebar bars with this towel that I like borrowed from the Hilton Hotel and I crashed right in front of that hotel. Uh, so it was an abrupt stop. Once she realized I was okay, we laughed. Um, but anyways, the moral of the story is always wear your bike helmet. Um, but also in the everyday and ordinary is where unexpected things happen. Then a month later, I received this in the mail, an award for my daughter second place in the female-only age group category. I, I laughed. We called her. We laughed. How in the world did she place? You've seen these races. People that place for second, third, they're like super athletes. We just like sort of barely, <laughs> barely finished. Um, but when I, and then when I looked up her age group category, guess how many there were? Two. Uh, <laughs> and I absolutely love that this, this race was my daughter's to run. Um, whatever her pace was our pace. I love how this is analogous to our stories with God and one another. They are each unique. We don't have to compare or strive. It matters that we run together. And this was for us a very unexpected and extraordinary moment. And it reminded me that it is precisely in the everyday and ordinary, in the unexpected, where extraordinary things happen with one another and with God. And our text today in Ruth is just this type of story. It is one that I sense will mark a great beginning to the chapel theme holiness, 
a theme that marks our Wesleyan traditions, one that captures the great story of Asbury Seminary in celebration of this centennial year. Story gives shape to complex concepts. For Mildred Bangs Winecoop, who was a theologian in the Church of the Nazarene, describes holiness and love as this dynamic and relational process. She writes, the human element in the Bible to which the divine speaks is the common lifeblood that keeps the divine meaningful at all who partake of life. The story is the flesh around the idea. It preserves the idea from becoming so detached and irrelevant and intellectualized that it loses all contact with reality. Story keeps us connected and away from too much abstraction. So now for an exercise, just sit for a minute with the concept of friendship. Imagine trying to define it. I suspect that we would all list a few common things. Maybe some of us friendship are not so common things. Now picture the face of a friend. Now this gets personal. Unique to you, stories may pour forth in your mind. Some friendships might harken back to middle school. Um, I have a friend who was with me through these beautifully awkward middle school years, and now we're in our 40s, and it takes no time, and we're giggling like we're 13. <laughs> so a great example of holiness in action is the story of Ruth. This four-chapter story features death and life, emptiness, fullness, famine, harvest, a return, a move to Bethlehem, a bold, risky request on the threshing floor, a shoe, a marriage, and a surprise baby. <laughs> this seemingly simple rural story comes with a warm, really welcome. After the vi violent final chapters of Judges, Judges ends with the refrain, my paraphrase, everything is a hot mess and there is no king. <laughs> so experiencing early acceptance in the Christian tradition, Ruth is not usually revered as a holiness text. Yet upon closer inspection, this story becomes more nuanced and complex, displaying a social holiness lived and observed through the characters in profound moments and movements in this unique chronotope or time space. Ruth offers a powerful voice and story in our canon, one where the term holiness might be absent, yet this narrative demonstrates holiness embodied, performed through unexpected people in moments and places where it's like in the margins of society. If one way that holiness is expressed is through loving God and neighbor, Ruth is an exemplary example of holiness through her extraordinary acts of hesed towards Naomi, her mother-in-law. So this term chesed is defined in our English translations with words such as loving kindness, loyalty, great love, steadfast love, unfailing love. It's a beautiful word. Some of you might have heard of it before. Some maybe studied it. It's a loaded theological term, and I'll return to it later. Holiness can be defined as set apart, occurs in various forms in the Old Testament, it's profoundly relational and relates to humanity's relationship with God, with one another. In Exodus, God reveals plans for a tabernacle so that the Lord can dwell with humanity in this Edenic representation of cosmic realities. Within this space is the Holy of Holies, right? Uh, the inner sanctum of the most sacred of spaces. Be holy because I am holy. Leviticus reveals that this program of holiness is embodied within the ancient pastoral shepherd and religious contexts 
key signs and symbols. And as Mark Scarlatta illustrates, ritual practice is key to the pursuit of holiness because it reminds us that we are physical creatures who learn through embodied acts of worship. Although purity regulations are indeed part of Israel's life and worship, holiness involves also a call for ethical living and embodies life-giving dynamics, avenues of blessing and wholeness for all of creation. The prophets call Israel back to the very core of what it means to live this holy life. God is holy and is holy other, yet Israel is called to be holy. Francis Landy describes through Hosea 11.9 the mystery of difference and presence. For I am God and not human, yet in your midst, holy. The story of Ruth reveals what it means to live out holiness within a community, right? This communal holiness. Through risk, hospitality, generosity, Ruth reveals a powerful and intimate story of the imaginative possibilities through actions of chesed. Chesed and holiness belong together. Mitzi Smith, writing on Philemon, captures this interplay of love and holiness. John Wesley understood love of God and neighbor to be the ultimate definition of holiness. What is holiness? Is it not essentially love? The love of God and all humankind. Love is holiness wherever it exists. So here in Ruth, we have this term chesed three times. There have been dissertations written on it, Somehow, it's really hard to pin down. It's a beautiful mystery that encompasses covenant, ethics, love, faithfulness. The term is unique in the Old Testament. There's not a counterpart in Semitic languages. It carries theological influence. It's a word that scholars struggle to define. I'll describe it a little, bear with me. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament in every major division, Torah, prophets, and writings. Most frequently in the Psalms, 127 times, it embodies Israel's liturgy. It describes God's faithful love shown from person to person, God's faithful love to us. The term chesed is often paired, as I mentioned, with all of these terms, covenant, truth, justice, faithfulness, compassion. The psalmist's invitation is to trust God's chesed. It even reaches to the heights of the heavens in Lamentations 3, it shifts as a brief respite in suffering liturgy. Because of it, God is unlike other gods, is proclaimed as the source of commitment of everlasting covenant, faithfulness. Hosea calls forth for it. Where it is lacking, there is injustice. 1 Samuel 15 states that Hesed holds back hands of vengeance and violence. It's something longed for asked for, praised for, enduring for all generations, is a place of protection, support, and comfort. Psalm 136 interplays God's mighty acts, right, with the story of Exodus, with the refrain, God's chesed endures forever, all throughout. In Exodus 32, Israel has botched it big time with the golden calf incident. In Exodus 34, this difficult moment is connected and it's God's biggest moment of self-revelation in the entire Old Testament, his self or God's self-disclosure. And chesed is the defining attribute and activity of the Lord. The Lord, it says in Exodus 34, is abundant in chesed and keeps chesed for a thousand generations. And I've sat with this term, attempting to define it for my students, I gave 
up. I cannot do it concisely. Most scholars write like a paragraph or more to define it. But this is how I want to define it. You want me to tell you what hesed means? Well, let me tell you a story. Today is a story of hesed, loving kindness revealed through an unexpected agent, the Moabite widow, Ruth. This specific moment of loyal love affects generations to come. She had no idea at the time. I cannot help but wonder what moments we say yes to and how they will affect generations to come. Ruth is a fascinating story that is much more important than we might guess. Many Old Testament theologies have left it out. In my estimation, this little scroll is a powerhouse that communicates possibility and inspires imagination. Similar to Tolkien's story, The Hobbit, some of you might be familiar with it, it is through this unsuspecting group where Middle Earth is saved. Through the unsuspecting, the powerless, the dismissed, at many points through the story, the wizard Gandalf says about the hobbit Bilbo, there's more about him than you might guess. The story of Ruth embodies such a quality. There's more about her than you might guess. And I want to tell you this today. There's more about you than you might guess. Is this not the story of Christ? There's so much more about Jesus than we might guess. We keep being surprised at the way Jesus meets us in our stories. So here we have Chesed, found in the first, second, and third chapter of the Scroll of Ruth. It's experienced by the sacrificial actions of one another. This love is demonstrated through community, often in seasons of uncertainty and waiting. Most often it describes God's ways towards us, but it is also, as I mentioned, demonstrated through people. In the first chapter, Naomi wishes for her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, to experience the Lord's chesed as they have shown it to her. She tells them, return to Moab, right? We read it with Melody reading the verse today. Return to Moab. May the Lord do chesed to you as you've done to me. So right away in chapter one, we see two Moabite widows demonstrating this love to an Israelite widow. This is unexpected, as evidenced by this blessing. These two Moabite women are the ones to initiate this act. Naomi has nothing to offer them, no futures with sons, but she can offer a blessing of chesed upon them, of the Lord in their lives. And in Naomi's blessing, God would be the agent of this. It might not seem like much to offer, but this hope for chesed is a prayerful blessing from a woman in a destitute place. Though she cannot imagine her own future as anything but empty, she envisions one for her daughter-in-laws. So Orpah returns, as we've heard today, but Ruth will continue to demonstrate, and this is where I wanna kind of focus briefly on this oath. Ruth's oath to Naomi is unique in the Old Testament. This oath is vital to understand Ruth's acts of chesed that continue on through the story. She there's some important features I'd like to point out. She invokes the covenant name of God. She says how she will live and how she will die. And she's the only woman in the Bible to utter an oath of this magnitude in the Old Testament. It signals a lexical connection to Jonathan's oath with David in 1 Samuel 20. One of the fascinating connections between these two oaths is that they are sacrificing a future trajectory for someone they love. Jonathan is giving up his claim to the throne. Ruth is giving up a future in Moab, a return home, possible marriage. Jonathan's oath releases the throne 
And Ruth's oath will eventually result in someone on the throne, King David, as we hear in the genealogy at the end. And later, you guessed it, Jesus. So a Moabite woman utters this oath formula used only by powerful men in positions in other places. And it's a very unexpected moment sparked by traumatic loss. And it becomes an exceptional and extraordinary act of chesed. Can she do that? Can she say that? Promise that? Well, I'm not sure, but she did it. And this extraordinary oath changes the trajectory of Israel's history and our own. Thank you for stepping out of the box, Ruth. And she is not your typical agent of Hesed. She's poor, she's a Moabite, she's a widow. And sometimes it's through unexpected people that extraordinary things happen. I imagine if you take a moment to recall in your own life moments of the unexpected that have turned into something extraordinary, it might even be a part of your own story coming here to Asbury. So Ruth will return with Naomi to Bethlehem. In chapter two, Naomi anticipates God's love as the generous actions of Boaz become evident. Providing food for Ruth and Naomi reveals that this love is not only demonstrated by these women, but this kindness extends to those who have died and gone before. So from the lips of Naomi come the following use of chesed. Ruth has returned, arms bulging with all this grain, uh, from the field of Boaz. Uh, the use of chesed is coupled with intentional ambiguity of agency. Naomi exclaims, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his chesed to the living and the dead. Who is he? Is it the Lord? Boaz? Yes. In chapter three, Boaz mentions how Ruth has revealed this chesed love through her actions. Boaz has been aware of Ruth in the community from early in the story. In 2.11, Boaz commends her, you left your father and mother the land of your birth, and went to a people you did not know prior. So this reminds the reader of Abraham's great migration in Genesis 12, and also in Genesis 2 of the leaving your father and mother. Language of Abram's call, coupled with this marriage imagery and the possibility of a new family unit, hums in the background of Boaz's phrase. Boaz proceeds to praise Ruth's extraordinary acts of chesed. Um, after she stealthily approached the threshing floor at midnight, she requests marriage and redemption going beyond legal tradition. Once Boaz gathers his senses that night, realizes, oh, there's a woman at my feet. Uh, what is happening? Uh, he praises her for her previous acts of chesed. But her requests in the moment, and her requests, this is what Boaz says, I am adding things, by the way. <laughs> the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This chesed is greater than that which you showed earlier. You did not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. You did not go on Love Island, Australia to find a match. <laughs> and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all you've asked. All the people in town know that you are a woman, a shet ha'il, right, of noble strength. Hawk sums it up well. There are, to sum up, no known legal or social codes that obligate Boaz to marry Ruth or act as her redeemer. But Ruth creates a new path forward uh, of possibilities, and Boaz accepts this new role. So this, to me, illustrates how the unexpected can become extraordinary. So this story will end in a marriage and a baby, Obed, who will carry name, the name forward of those that have been deceased. Hope returns. The story of Ruth reveals the possibilities of chesed, that exceed legal obligations. 
So Judges ends with the need for a king, this complex religious social refrain, um, political refrain, and one response comes in the form of an intimate story of a small family of widows. Ruth ends with a genealogy that leads to a king. And it is precisely in the everyday and ordinary, the unexpected, where extraordinary things happen with one another and with God. Ruth and Naomi finish their story together. The story reveals an open-endedness with a genealogy that leads to King David and eventually to Jesus. There is more about Ruth than you may guess. There is more about you and your communities than you may guess. And I suspect that there are many unexpected moments and stories that have been taking place on this campus these past few weeks with the outpouring. How many unexpected conversations, chance meetings, prayers at the altar will flower into the extraordinary. Stories taking place right now, some immediate and some still ripening. A generation later, I can imagine a conversation when somebody will say, it all started when I happened upon the field of, I mean, it happened upon the Asbury campus of, <laughs> right, on February 11th, 2023. So for a time, the story set forth long ago has emerged in, in unique ways. Stories have crossed paths and will continue to blossom together in unexpected and extraordinary ways. When I imagine the church as we near our finish lines, there is a lot of story yet to be written. My hope and prayer is that we watch God weave our stories of chesed together. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, help us to follow you, to release expectations, trust your leading in the very real and unexpected moments of our lives, knowing we are deeply loved with your extraordinary chesed love. In Jesus' name, amen.